W233AH Monticello. Good evening and welcome to the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. We got some news for you tonight. Big Eddie Film. Thanks for having me back, Jason. There you go. Looking at some news, you you, uh, have some news that I had not heard anything about yet. There's the Four Corners there in Fosterdale. There's more development that may be on the way. This is the first I've heard of this. What do you got? Yeah. Um, so the Kashakton Planning Board has been looking through this project um, the, for a gas station at the Fosterdale, in Fosterdale. Um, there's uh, currently, I think, a mobile station there, but there's a proposal for a uh, gas station and three retail spaces at the connection between Route 52 and 17B. Um, And there was a planning board meeting the evening of August 31 that was asking for community input on this project. Normally, there's a public hearing uh, closer to the, the project's completion, but the planning board wanted to sort of hold one early so that they could incorporate the public hearing or public comments early. Um, and, uh, basically what people said about the project was, uh, they were concerned about the hours of operation. Um, I think there were people concerned that it would be like a truck stop where truckers could stop overnight. Uh, that's not going to be in the final project or that's, uh, the project representative said that that's not going to be included. Um, but people were also sort of just concerned about the traffic. They were concerned uh, that people already kind of drive at unsafe speeds through that intersection. And they were concerned that adding like a gas station there or a major gas station slash retail space there would um, worsen that. Um, and people were also just kind of concerned about how big the project was going to be. Um, they were wondering whether this is like something that Foster Hill really needs, given that there are sort of communities around that are kind of already more built up, like Bethel and Monticello and Jeffersonville. Like they're wondering if this large a gas station slash retail space is really needed in that zone. Part of what I'm curious about, and I, I understand this might not be something that you've got in your reporting is, I mean, people are concerned about, you know, trucks coming through and there for a long time, for decades, there's been the, the Fosterdale Motor Lodge there, which is a place where people could stop and say it wasn't necessarily geared for tractor trailers. Yet that's one of the things that was going on on that corner there. Is there has there been any talk about what's up with the with the Motor Lodge and the existing gas station and retail space that that is already there at that intersection? Um, That's not. I haven't heard anything on either of those aspects of the story, although I would be definitely interested to hear more about the motor lodge. Um, in terms of the pre-existing gas station, um, I think it seems like gas stations tend to pop up around each other. So there's not necessarily that much going competition that's going to happen between them or like it's possible for these spaces to coexist. Right. And this um, isn't necessarily a project that's trying to replace or, or be on that same corner and replace the one that's there. This is like an additional potential gas station exactly but then that's also where the retail space comes in like that is to my knowledge a lot more than what is currently there so 
another gas station may not necessarily change the traffic in the area. Like, it'll still be the same people coming through. I think someone during that planning meeting, I believe, said that, like, you don't travel, like, a long ways for just to see a gas station. But you do travel a decent amount if there's, like, a shop you want to see or, like, a um, retail space you want to explore. So that's the part of the project that I think has the more potential to change the um, patterns in the area. Yeah, and there's a lot already in the area that people are traveling to, and that's that's a literal crossroads there. You got 17B meeting 52, and as I was saying, it you know the the road continues on down to 97. It's not far away, so that's like a corridor for for the for the the river there, the Delaware River, uh, you know, between Calicoon and Narrowsburg. And if people are coming from the more eastern parts of the county or from the the highway, that that's a place that they might well go through so um it makes sense from a business perspective let's see what the the community uh has to say about it is there anything on the the horizon for when they're going are they going to be seeking more input are there any next steps to this yeah the next steps for this are the project applicants are going to finalize the project and then bring it bring a finalized version of it back before the planning board to sort of start the or to engage in the official process with an official public hearing um, a couple months down the road. Okay, great. And now I know uh, fairly recently in our uh, Representative Molinaro was addressing the opioid crisis and actually held an event where he was getting community input. You've got a report on this uh, coming out in tomorrow's uh, River Reporter. What can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you that the, the roundtable sort of solicited input from pretty much representatives of every branch in the county that are working on the problem of the opioid epidemic. And there were a lot of different sort of problems that people brought up. Some people brought up the problem of first responder fatigue. So first responders are responding to overdoses, but they'll respond to the same house like over and over without the ability to get that person into treatment. And they start to sort of get fatigued by that. Uh, there are, were questions about, like, reaching children in schools before, like, they could sort of become addicted to opioids and sort of addressing the problem at its roots. There were problems that, or there were discussions about, like, homelessness and the effect that has on people slipping into addiction. Um, the, the law enforcement uh, angle was also mentioned, uh, the, the need for um, medical um, yeah, and so are these the concerns that the community was bringing up, or these these things that, that Molinaro already had in hand? Yeah, these were concerns that the community was bringing up for Molinaro, uh, the stuff that he was asking for. Molinaro sort of had less, um, he, was, he was offering less, like, problems and more solutions. In an extent, um, I think he was sort of asking for input from the people in Sullivan County who have experienced with Sullivan County-specific problems, but he was offering the solutions that he had experienced in his time as the Dutchess County Executive. He spent a very long time as the leader of that county before he um, became only very recently the uh, federal representative for New York 19. So he basically told Sullivan County that, hey, when I was in Dutchess County, we figured out things that would work for this. We figured out um, 
there was some stuff that he called like first in nation, I think, uh, in terms of the, the tools they put in place. And at the end of the meeting, he offered that Sullivan County's representatives could come to Dutchess County, visit the Dutchess County Stabilization Center and meet with Dutchess County officials to see if there could be any like shared knowledge uh, between the two uh, counties in terms of how to deal with this problem. And what can you just give us an example, per, perhaps, of like what some of the things uh, Molinar was saying, you know, worked in Dutchess County that he would like to see happening in Sullivan County? Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a collaborative approach. He was kind of emphasizing uh, that it uh, it sort of takes reaching into every aspect of the community, um, training the people in the community best positioned to help, like pharmacists, security guards, doctors even public school janitors, just the people who are best able or best positioned to help, uh, putting in place resources like a dedicated support helpline and this kind of dedicated stabilization center. So you have somewhere in county to bring people if they need, like, extended treatment. So Sullivan County doesn't currently have that kind of in-county uh, stabilization center uh, where people could receive that treatment. So they have to be sent out of county and it's a little harder for them to receive treatment because of that. Yeah, it sounds like he, as you said, he's he's talking about the approach more than like individual solutions. As we know, there's not going to be one single solution uh, to this bigger problem. Just for some perspective and along those lines, uh, I, I mean, it was good to hear that the suggestion there that that's actually talking about the healthcare side of it, because, um, you know, one of the one of the bottom lines that we constantly use for where Sullivan County is at and how we approach the problems is our standing in the Robert Wood uh, Johnson uh, uh, County health rankings for the state. And uh, we're we're near the bottom of that list. We typically are. We're number 60 out of 62. And just for perspective, Dutchess County is at number 17. So they're, you know, they're in the top third. We're we're right near at the bottom. And I'm just bringing that up as a as a contrast uh, because maybe there are things that are working in Dutchess County that might work here, but also maybe there's um, more structural things that are in place there that we can measure with something like these health rankings and something yeah. that structurally we don't have here. Because it's going, to, I think it's going to take more than just you know focusing on the issue itself. I think there's much, just as it is with an individual, uh, addiction in one's life often speaks to other problems that one needs to address. I think it happens at the county level too. Exactly. Well, and Molinaro did sort of, um, one of the things he talked about was the necessity of like all of your people in the county working together and having that kind of close collaboration. And Sullivan County sort of has the drug task force already sort of instituted now a couple of years running to bring that collaboration together. So I think even in that meeting, there were signs that Sullivan County has like a solid foundation of community support to work on. It's just taking that and strengthening that and moving forward with it. Yeah. And uh, coupled with the, the new designation at the federal level, the, the high intensity drug trafficking area designation, you know, it seems like the, the multiplier, the potential uh, positive multipliers as we face this issue are starting to stack up. So maybe we'll start to see some change. Um, but that's a fairly serious story. I'm not going to say this next story isn't serious, but it's a little more interesting and, and less uh, of an actual, um, you know, illness in the community. It's an ancient fossil 
that was discovered in Narrowsburg. This is also the first time hearing of this. So what was found? How did they find it? And how ancient is it? Yeah. So uh, this was sort of discussed at a meeting of the Upper Delaware Council. There's a picture of the fossil itself in uh, this week's edition of the River Reporter. Um, it is a fossil determined to be almost 400 million years old. Um, Narrowsburg representative Doug, or Narrowsburg resident, excuse me, Doug Krauss, found the fossil in the early 1990s and uh, just kind of kept it in his garage, I think. Or, sorry, kept it in his parents' garage. Mm. Um, and it recently has been sort of given to the UDC and... Uh, had experts in to sort of take a look at it, and that's when they've determined, uh, the National Park Service paleontologists determined that this was approximately 400 million years old, uh, late to middle Devonian period. Um, apparently, the fossil is uh, composed of gastropods or snails, uh, which is sort of kind of wonderful to look at if you're looking at the uh, picture itself. It's a little hard to describe over the radio. Um, but uh, there's the possibility that this may end up in the National Park Service's collection artifacts. So once there's a little more research done on it. Wow, that's that that's great. So uh, you know, it took 400 million years for somebody to find it, and then you know, I mean, when you consider that, you know, another 30 years to get the word out. That's not that that's not that bad. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. Liam, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to go over all the news with us. The latest edition of The River Reporter is out on newsstands and available digitally uh, tomorrow. Liam, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Liam Mayo joins us here on the local edition every Wednesday evening at about this time to give us this weekly news roundup that we bring to you. And also, uh, you hear him on the weekends bringing us headlines for both Pennsylvania and New York News that you should know. So be listening to Radio Catskill for that. We have more news here before we take a break as we uh, keep you connected heading into this election season. Election season's already upon us. Big local election this year. And uh, one of the stories that we're following is the fact that Pennsylvania still needs uh, people to serve as poll workers. In fact, they need 40,000 people to sign up to serve as poll workers for the November 7th election and also a 2024 presidential election. They're already looking ahead to that and getting ready to fill that gap. The state is recruiting future voters, 17-year-olds. From Keystone State News Connection, Danielle Smith reports. Election day is less than two months away, and for the process to go smoothly, Pennsylvania needs a lot more poll workers. Many of the 8.7 million registered voters in the state would be eligible to work at the polls for the November 7th municipal elections. Lauren Christella, who heads the Voter Education Group Committee of 70, says 40,000 Pennsylvanians are needed twice a year to ensure elections happen. She adds the state is also recruiting 17-year-olds to serve as poll workers if they get permission from their school principal and a parent or guardian. Poll workers are our first best defense against election fraud, anything that would cause disenfranchisement of voters. Fully staffed, well-trained poll workers make 
voting easier for everyone. So we took that as an important part of our mission to make sure that these important roles were filled. Christella says Pennsylvania's population increase is one reason more poll workers are needed. In Philadelphia, for instance, each polling location requires five people to serve in the assigned roles, and there are over 1,700 locations. Christella says older Pennsylvanians are traditionally the backbone of poll staffing, and it's been a challenge since the pandemic to find enough workers because COVID prompted many people to decide to stay home for health reasons. There was a huge gap. We had to fill so many people stepped up. We recruited tens of thousands of people in Pennsylvania in 2020. Getting those people back is important. People can sign up to become poll workers through the Pennsylvania Department of State website or the League of Women Voters of Pennsylvania website. League Program Manager Samantha Anthony says last year, 1,200 people signed up online at palwv.org. We really encourage people to sign up through that link, one, so that we can send them to the correct county election officials and make sure, kind of take some of the administrative burden off of the county by making sure everybody's registered to vote and, you know, within the right county that they're supposed to be in. Election workers are paid, but the exact rates depend on the county. Their hours may start as early as 6.30 a.m. and polls close at 8 p.m. I'm Danielle Smith, Keystone State News Connection. And thank you, Danielle Smith. And thank you, Keystone State News Connection. Thank you for listening. We have more local edition coming right up. We're going to be checking in with the Big Eddie Film Festival, let you know everything that's going on with that. Stay with us. You're listening to the local edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Treatment takes time. It also gives time back. My addiction does not define who I am, just as my medication does not define my recovery. All you have to do to change your life is change your mind. It is up to you to figure out what is best for you. Your goals. Your life. Your treatment plan. Staying on medication for opioid use disorder is your path to recovery. Learn more at HealTogetherStories.org. Hey, it's Cassie from Rare Pair Radio, playing you the fruit of all things sweet, Fridays, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., mostly female artists from rock, funk, punk, pop, and more. All Rare, only on WJFF. Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. And we have some arts and cultural news for you. Because the 12th annual Big Eddie Film Festival. It's happening in Narrowsburg, and it's happening next week. It's just around the corner, coming to us Thursday, September 28th, going through Sunday, October 1st. Big Eddie Film Festival is produced by the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance, the Arts Council for Sullivan County, and it aims to advance the traditional art of storytelling by showing new independent films from around the world and our own backyard. There are also a few new highlights this year, 
Our own Tim Bruno spoke with Kate Bergstrom, Big Eddie Film Festival director on Radio Chatskill. So Big Eddie this year, there's some pre-Big Eddie stuff going on. What's, yes! What's happening? Okay, so the 23rd, we have BEFF Soundcheck with Bethel Woods, which is a free community screening of Little Richard's I Am Everything. And Lisa Portis, the director, has done an incredible job building the legacy of, of, um, Little Richard as a queer, black, southern, rural sort of icon, uh, turn rock and roll god turn um sort of godfather of rock and roll and Jimi hendrix and it's the 50th anniversary of Jimi hendrix's rockumentary so this is like a, a nice sneak peek you're trying to get some yeah. enthusiasm before the big night why did this come about what was it that you guys wanted to do to kind of get some pre buzz going on sure so we really wanted to highlight um the connection to the area and the legacy of the rural imagination and the urban imagination meeting and creating what we think is like revolution. So Jimi Hendrix was a no brainer to celebrate in terms of his participation in Woodstock and little Richard is such a seminal figure. We go, we have to connect back to the music roots from our big Eddie perspective in film to the incredible legacy of, of rock and roll that's up here. And also my amazing predecessor, Tina had a deep relationship with Bethel Woods and Suzanne and that whole team is so amazing. So we wanted to make sure that people got to experience both Bethel Woods, if they come up for the festival, and our awesome Narrowsburg little town. Now, is this your first year doing this? Am I correct? No, this is my second year. Second year, Eddie sorry. Film. So how's it going into year two? What, what have you learned and what are you looking forward to? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I've learned that this is a community that loves deep and profound discussion and fun. So we really are emphasizing, again, immersive event and brand new, never before seen films, New York premieres and uh, state premieres and intersections between different topics points, arguable um, subject matter that hopefully will get people talking about relevant issues here today. The world premiere big kickoff night is September 28th. Um, mm -hmm. What's the film? So actually, the opening night, as we call it, is the 29th. And that is going to be the New York premiere of Lotus Soccer Club about a trans and lesbian and LGBTQIA soccer club in Cambodia. That is um, going to be shown for the first time with the director present in in New York to have space in a in a rural area. So that's going to be really.